This is Ring the Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen for today's program on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome, everyone, to Ringler Radio. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're actually broadcasting from Toronto, Canada, at the ATLA Convention, and it's quite exciting for us. Uh, I, I know you're going to really enjoy these shows as we start to cover the important news and information in and about the uh, settlement industry. And we're going to be introducing you not only on, on these shows but in the future as well to some high-profile lawyers and uh, interesting, uh, interesting guests, a lot of them claims and settlement professionals. And also a whole slew of what I like to call subject matter experts that can bring uh, a lot of uh, light on subjects that are in- of interest, hopefully, to you. Uh, speaking of high-profile guests, I'm lucky to have, uh, as serving as my co-host for today's programs, the uh, chairman of Ringler Associates, Dennis English. Uh, Dennis actually wears a few hats within our organization. He's not only the chairman, but he also co-manages our London operations and uh, serves as our Eastern Division head out of his office uh, in New York City. Thanks, Larry. I really appreciate being here. Uh, as you know, Ringler Associates has uh, close to 60 offices around the country and, and as well as London. And, you know, we have the opportunity to serve uh, the the litigation industry and have been for 30 years now. You know, one of the things that uh, the lawyers here at the Atla Convention have been uh, have been talking about are, are a lot of the topics that are important to us. Today we have a true advocate for the consumer, uh, Tom Methvin of the nationally known firm Beasley Allen in Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, welcome, Tom. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Tom, we're really pleased to have you here. Uh, well, obviously, we, your firm is one of the the most well-known uh, consumer advocate firms in the country. And we know that in several discussions we've had how strongly you feel on these issues, and uh, particularly regarding consumer advocate issues like trial by jury. If you could tell us how you feel on these issues, we'd really appreciate your input. Well, Dennis, thank you. I- I'll be glad to. First of all, I- there's something that the American people need to know, and I, I don't think the average rank-and-file American knows this. <clears throat> Our rights, our constitutional rights, our consumer rights are under assault every day by large corporations. And I'm not saying all large corporations are bad, but there are some out there that really want to take away our rights, our consumer rights. And they've focused their efforts in a couple of ways to do it. Mainly, if they do something wrong, they don't want to be held accountable in court. And we have in America and have had for since we've been here uh, the right to trial by jury. In fact, in the Declaration of Independence, it's written in there, one of the reasons that we were actually leaving England was because the Crown was taking away our right to a trial by jury. John Adams, one of the founders of America, came out and said that the right to trial by jury is so important. He said, uh, without it, we have no way to keep from being ridden like horses, fleeced like sheep, and fed and clothed like swine and hounds. That's his quote 200 years ago. It sounds like Animal House to me. Well, it does. <laughs> but the point is, is the right to, to, of 12 people chosen at random as the conscience of the community to pass muster on corporate conduct, that, that right is under assault. And it, it really is the best form of consumer protection we have right now. First, the big businesses, tobacco and insurance mostly, came out and tried to limit what a jury could do by putting caps on it. And, and 
that way they could assess their risk. If they decide to pollute a certain stream and uh, they know the cl- um, that the punitive damages that they could get would be low, then they're more likely to do it. Whereas if they knew that they could really be punished for it in front of a jury, they may be less likely to do it. So the first thing they did was go in and try to cap what a jury could do, limit what a jury could do. And most states have passed some sort of legislation that allows that to happen. Now they've taken it one step further in the form of what they call binding arbitration agreements. And what that is is that in any purchase you make in America now, whether it's a credit card, um, you're opening a bank account, you're buying a house, a car, uh, starting a new job, anytime you sign a piece of paper to get something, even buying tires or whatever, a mobile home, in the fine print of that document is what they call an arbitration agreement. And that means that in the event you have a problem with that product, like the car won't work, the insurance company won't pay your claim, um, the mobile home's leaking, whatever it is, if you have a problem, you cannot take that company to court under any circumstances. You have lost your constitutional right to a trial by jury. Instead, you go to what they call arbitration, where, where they have more say-so in who the arbitrator is than the consumer. There's no appeal. It's a private matter. It can't be out in the public. There's no discovery. And it's very unfair. In fact, to show you how unfair it is, the largest credit card bank in America went to arbitration with their consumers 19,211 times, roughly. The bank won 19,100 times, and the consumer won 100 times. So you can see how unfair arbitration is, and and it's really one of the worst assaults on consumer issues that we've got. Well, how are you and your your other uh, associates working in this field trying to combat that? Well, what we have done is we have tried to go to Congress to pass legislation to say that uh, arbitration agreements should not be able to be forced on a consumer uh, against their will. Because in states uh, like, say, in Alabama, where I'm from, if you go in to buy a car, the deal- all the dealers tell you that the only way you can buy this car is if you sign this arbitration agreement. And if you say no, then they say they won't sell it to you. Hmm. So we're trying to do legislation saying that on things that are um, – uh, necessary goods and services uh, a vendor can't force or force me to give up my constitutional right to get that goods and service and we're doing that plus a massive public education plan to try to to let everybody in america know that you as a consumer are being talked in to giving up your constitutional right and you don't even know it many times and i had a doctor friend who told me he said tom i don't ever want to take anybody to court but I don't want them to take away my rights. I may need to take somebody to court one day because the the threat of a, taking someone to court is the best form of consumer protection we can ever have. Because if you think about it, if you've got some bad actor out there that's going to do some bad corporate conduct, like, uh, say, a tobacco company or an insurance company or a drug company, someone that's or a polluter, they can make campaign contributions to the executive branch of government. They can make campaign contributions to the legislative branch of government. Some states, they can even make campaign contributions to the judge. They can wine and dine the regulators. They can hire the regulators when they quit being regulators on the revolving door. There's one place they can't control. Twelve people chosen at random as the conscience of the community to pass muster on what they've done. Can't lobby them, can't buy them, can't do anything. Twelve people, level playing field. David's on the same level field as Goliath. And that's the jury system, and that is why they're trying to take it away. Tom, are there is, is any specific states that uh, arbitration agreements have been limited in some, to some degree? 
most states have allowed arbitration agreements. West Virginia and Tennessee have limited arbitration agreements to some degree. Uh, other state Supreme Courts, like in Alabama, have even required people to go to arbitration that could not read and write. And uh, the sad part is, is everybody in this room with me right now has got an arbitration agreement in their life, including me, and we don't even know it. I guarantee you it's in your credit card bill. And, you know, that's on page 10 in the fine print somewhere that nobody ever reads. But you let them char- uh, let somebody put a false charge on your credit card one day, and uh, then you try to get the company to take it off, and you have no right to take them to court. If they decide not to do right, you could be in trouble. And that's the kind of thing I want the public to know is arbitration is unfair. Uh, it's very much on the side of the person who drafts the agreement and makes you sign it. It is very anti-consumer, and it's just not good. And um, the in some states, the car dealers were the first ones to use arbitration agreements, and they said, oh, arbitration is fair. It's a quick way to resolve your cases, and, and we think it's good for the consumers. But would you believe that they then went to U.S. Congress and said that in deals between the car dealers and the manufacturer, where we're buying our cars from the manufacturer, it said arbitration is unfair. We don't want to have to sign arbitration agreement there. And they actually got a law passed. The only law in America where somebody doesn't have to sign arbitration is car dealers dealing with the manufacturers. Yet car dealers are the very first ones to shove it down the consumer's throat. Uh, so what's good for the goose is not good for the gander. Well, it's uh, it's the political process and trying to get uh, your your consumer issues uh, on the agenda and, and in the right area you want to see them in is obviously uh, hard work. And we commend you for doing the the, the hard pulling of the, the wagon to try to make that happen because I know it's not easy for uh, for everyone. Uh, you're also your firm's also involved in the Viox uh, pharmaceutical cases. Uh, why don't you yes. just give us a little update on that? I know a trial's taking right. place in Texas right now. There's a trial going on in Texas right now. There will probably be three other trials set this year. I think the case in Texas is in its second week, and um, uh, the jury has been considering the evidence and and looking at it. And we expect to get a verdict sometime in the next couple of weeks. It could be a little longer. But what's amazing about the Viox case, and, and most folks know this because Merck, who made Viox, has gotten so much attention because of it. Merck actually knew that their product was injuring and killing people. They actually knew that. But yet they continued to sell the product because they were bringing in $2.5 billion per year. We have documented evidence of studies where they showed that people taking Viox increased their chance of heart attack or stroke way, way up, real high. and But yet they didn't tell the public about it. In fact, you know what they did after they got that study? They they, they increased their public spending direct to consumer advertising, trying to talk people into buying more of the product, knowing it was dangerous. Mm-hmm. And their internal memo says uh, that, I don't know if you recall the Dorothy Hamill TV ads for Viox, where yes. she was out yes. there skating, and uh, after that, that bad... Uh, uh, test results came out. They said, quote, the only way to alleviate patients' fears about heart attacks and stroke is, quote, to put Dorothy back on TV. <laughs> so they, Well, it's so, uh, you know, that's the power of advertising, yeah. that's for sure. And they spent more than Nike and Pepsi combined on advertising Vioxx. And Dr. Graham, who has been with the FDA for over 20 years, a career employee, he testified in front of Congress that they killed up to 60,000 people with Vioxx. Well, I know an awful lot of lawyers are watching that case in Texas, and we'll see how that uh, turns out. And uh, in the meantime, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, Tom, or talk to your firm, how would they do that? The best thing to do is go to our website, BeasleyIsland.com, mm-hmm. and um, be glad to 
to talk to anybody that would like to talk about it. Well, that's great. Well, Tom, it's been great having you on the show here, and uh, I always like it when we have uh, people who are really, really advocates for their position. Thank and, you, Tom. Really appreciate you being okay. with us. Thank We're you. We're going to take a short break right now. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more of Ringler Radio from the Atla Convention right here in Toronto. This is Ringler Radio, Internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Want to contact someone at Ringler Associates? Go to the website at www.ringlerassociates.com and find an associate in your region of the United States. And thanks for listening. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. This is Ring the Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen for today's program on the Legal Talk Network. I want to welcome you back to Ringler Radio, and I'm here again with uh, my co-host, Dennis English. Thanks, Larry. Uh, and we're welcoming back uh, to the show today a good friend of ours, Michael Kaplan from DeCaro and Kaplan in New York City. Michael is the president of the Brain Injury Association of New York State and practices exclusively in the area of uh, personal injury, concentrating on brain injuries. And along uh, with Michael today, we have uh, Tony Gamboa, who is a nationally recognized vocational economist, uh, and he works closely with Michael on a lot of the brain injury cases, and thought it would be a good opportunity for us to discuss the whole area and the arena of uh, brain injuries. Michael, welcome back, and Tony, welcome. It's Thank a, you. It's a pleasure to be back. Michael, why don't you uh, talk to us about how uh, the whole economic arena is involved in these brain injuries and how Tony can help uh, you as you try to figure out how to make these cases, uh, you know, benefit the claimant. Let me go back about 20 years when I first met Dr. Gamboa in a case where I was representing a man who was in a horrific automobile accident, sustained some orthopedic injuries and recovered from those injuries and also suffered what is commonly called a mild traumatic brain injury. After he recovered from the orthopedic injuries, he went back to work for a finance company in the same position that he had before the accident except now he was a little slower in doing his job. His boss wouldn't give him any new assignments to do. He was belligerent with his co-workers, forgetful, and in many, many respects just not at the top in the cutting edge in doing what he was able to do before his injury. But I was faced with a problem because I had very little loss of actual earnings. Mm-hmm. for this individual. He was only out of work for three weeks, went back to work earning his full income. Now, if I went to court with that case at that point, I'd be able to show no future loss of in- income. Well, I retained the services of Dr. Gamboa and his company, Vocational Economics, to talk to me about this problem. And I learned about a concept called the capacity to earn money, something that Dr. Gamboa focuses on. And what I think we're going to let Dr. Gamboa Tell us about it this time. Thanks, Tony. Uh, Tony, why don't you go ahead and uh, 
give us uh, your insight into that cold aspect. Sure. Interestingly enough, in all states in the United States, the issue that's really compensable is not lost wages. It's loss of earning capacity. Wages are something that's retrospective. Earning capacity is prospective. Mm-hmm. And what we know about earning capacity and earning potential is this. Disabled people, when they work, they will on average earn less than persons without a disability. And disabled people have lower levels of employment, hence they have a reduced work-life expectancy. Just because someone's returned to work and they're functioning in a job, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to hold that job for as long as they otherwise would have held it, absent injury. Mm -hmm. We know that persons who sustain traumatic brain injury specifically have enormous problems in the marketplace. When you have a person who is somewhat belligerent, what we know is that most people lose their jobs, not because of incompetence, but because of personality issues. Belligerence is not tolerated in the marketplace. Employed persons with a disability are more likely to be out of work one year subsequent to survey data than persons without a disability. And if they're unemployed, they're more likely to remain unemployed than persons without a disability. What does this mean? What this means is that just because someone is employed at a particular point in time, that doesn't mean that their work life expectancy will be as long as it otherwise would have been absent injury. Talk about, please, the opportunities for these individuals to progress within an associ- their organization because of their brain injury. They're kind of stuck in the job that they have now, and they're not going to have the same progression in terms of wage growth as somebody without that injury. And now I know you've spent a lot of time analyzing the brain injury population in this specific issue. One thing that's particularly interesting about what Mike just said is that while there's certainly a glass ceiling that exists for persons with disability, particularly persons with mild traumatic brain injury, oftentimes the employer is protective of that individual. If there's been a relationship, they know the person as he was before, she was before, and they know them now, they know there's a problem. So they will make accommodations for that individual. And that's all well and good, so long as the supervisor remains constant. Mm-hmm. Persons with traumatic brain injury run into real problems when their supervisor or the foreman or the boss changes. The new person comes in and expects a certain level of performance with no intention of making an accommodation. They're simply looking at performance. I've had cases where literally persons who have sustained mild traumatic brain injury had held their positions for six and seven years, and all of a sudden the supervisor changes. The supervisor retires, a new person comes in, and the person is terminated within a year. Persons with traumatic brain injury have enormous problems retaining employment, not necessarily obtaining it. They can go out and look okay and get the job, but if they're there for the first 60 or 90 days and they're not performing, it's not tolerated. If you're there for many, many years and you're protected, you're in pretty good shape so long as that supervisor remains constant. Well, Tony, you know, that's uh, interesting how you, you project that future wage loss, the future loss of earning capacity. How do you, Michael, then take that information and, and put it into the, the case information you have as you pursue, uh, you know, getting the result you want? Well, I've now eliminated the problem of future loss of earnings uh, in, in my case because Dr. Gamboa can project into the future 
what the potential wage loss will be for this individual. And it could be enormous with inflation factored in into millions of dollars, perhaps the biggest portion of the case. And these days, that's very important with tort reform and the limitations that are placed on awards for pain and suffering, because in most states, there are no limitations for the future wage losses, and this becomes, as I said, the biggest item of damages that one has in the case that cannot be ignored. And we bring people in from the workplace to talk about the problems that the individual has in doing their job, retaining their job, accepting new assignments, things of that nature. Dr. Gamboa and I recently did a case in Nassau County of a woman who was working for Eula Packard. And she had a mild traumatic brain injury after a car accident, suffered a concussion, and went back to work again, like most of these individuals will do. But her employers came in, senior executives in Eula Packard, who she worked with, to explain how she wasn't doing the job in the same way she was doing it before and how she would be limited in Hewlett-Packard in terms of her progression up the employment ladder. And Dr. Gamboa was able to take that information and project enormous future wage losses for her. Terrific. Dennis, uh, you've been very involved in uh, the brain injury area as well, and uh, I know in being in New York, the brain injury uh, foundation, the Brain Injury Association of New York has been something you've been interested in as well. Tell tell uh, tell your audience how you and Michael have uh, worked a little bit on that. Well, Larry, the opportunity to uh, I, I would like to talk to Michael a lot more about the Brain Injury Association because, as as we all know. Most of these associations rely on the donations and grants from from outside sources and so forth. Uh, you know, could you tell us a little bit more about the activities of the association and, and where people who are interested in helping you could uh, contact you to assist in some way? Well, our website is b i a n y s dot org. B-I-A-N-Y-S dot org, where you could find out information about brain injury as well as the activities of the association and access to all our publications. As I say, we put on programs for attorneys. We put on programs for parents. We put on programs for educators, all on the different aspects of brain injury prevention and trying to improve the quality of life for people with a brain injury. And, of course, because we're a not-for-profit association, we receive a lot of funding from government grants. But those grants have a lot of strings attached to them and, and don't pay normal operating costs of an association from rent to telephones to mailings. And we rely upon the generosity of private organizations who are involved in the brain injury community, be it structured settlement people, insurance carriers, drug companies, who, through their generosity, allows us to have programs that will prevent brain injuries from occurring. Because, you know, the best cure for a brain injury is prevention. And if we could prevent the brain injury from occurring to somebody in the future, we've done a good deed for that day. Well, that's great, Michael. How would uh, someone get in touch with you at your law firm? What what law firm information do you have? What well, address? We're DeCaro and Kaplan, K-A-P-L-E-N, I like to tell people. And we're located in Manhattan. But I also now have developed a brain injury blog called www.braininjury.blogs.com, which just about a, on a daily basis we do another post that would be helpful to lawyers and other professionals in the area of brain injury. We talk about traumatic brain injury. We talk about concussions. We talk about epilepsy. We talk about the latest medical articles that are coming out on brain injury. We talk about 
expert witness decisions on brain injury. We talk about the area of structured settlements in regard to brain injury. We cover the gamut. And that has now become a place where people come come to to learn about brain injury developments on a daily basis. Well, that's great. Tony, how about uh, folks who want to, you know, locate and uh, contact Vocational Economics, Inc.? How do they reach you? Our website is vocecon, V-O-C-E-C-O-N dot com. And that particular website has on it many of the things that we've discussed today, uh, and it extends way beyond that. Um, so I would encourage persons to visit that site. Well, I'm sure they will. And, uh, Dennis, uh, what about Ringler Associates themselves? How do they reach us? Uh, www.ringlerassociates.com. Yeah. We have an excellent website, and uh, many of these people that were guests on our shows, will we will be uh, having uh, connections to, to their websites as well. well Thank that, you. That's great. We're going to take a short break now. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more of Ringler Radio. Come right back. Thanks. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio, Internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years at one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Welcome back to Ringler Radio here at the Atla Convention in Toronto. And with me again, and I'm sure happy to have him, is the chairman of Ringler Associates, uh, Dennis English. Thanks, Larry. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we've had an awful lot of uh, interesting guests uh, over the last few days, but today a little change of pace. Uh, we're going to have... Uh, couple of our own Ringler folks on the show. Uh, I want to welcome uh, direct, National Director of Marketing, John Macker. Thank you, Larry. John's uh, from Washington, D.C., and he's here at the Atlet Convention with us, as, uh, as has been uh, quite a few of our Ringler folks. And also representing our, our entire nation of Ringler Associates, we have uh, our Connecticut Ringler Associate, Lynn Clark. Thank you, Larry. That's, uh, you know, an interesting uh, thing for us to have uh, just Ringler folks on this show. We've had some tremendous uh, guests. A lot of consumer advocates have been on this show talking about consumer issues. And, you know, Dennis, one of the things that hit me was that, you know, when you look at Ringler Associates and what we do, uh, we're consumer advocates as well. Very much so, Larry. Uh, all the people that we have talked to in the last uh, couple of days uh, have expressed their interest in helping out the uh, the plaintiffs with their their needs well, Ringler, in essence, is fulling, uh, essentially doing exactly the same function. Uh, though we are involved in cases that, uh, in which they have a defense in the plaintiff, and there are there are issues of liability and damages, uh, the role of Ringler Associates is to try to bridge the gap between those two sides to a great degree. We present financial options that satisfy the needs of these people. And as such, we are the consumer advocates every bit as much as all of their, our wonderful guests that have been here in the last couple of days. Well, absolutely. And, uh, Lynn, you know, you, you're in the, in the trenches day to day with these folks. Uh, what, what role do you feel that you play in uh, trying to help resolve a lot of this litigation settlement issue? 
Our roles are really multifaceted, and, and things have really evolved over the last 10 years. Um, you know, historically, the structured settlement broker would become involved in a case at the request of the insurer, the defendant. And I think that things have really changed for the best because now we're getting involved at the request of not only the defendants but the plaintiffs and their representation. Um, and we are really, truly getting into the settlement forum uh, and working on behalf of the injured plaintiff. And I think that's that that's our target market. That's who we're trying to help. So just revisiting what Dennis is saying, uh, clearly our role has, has evolved to the point where uh, we are out there looking out for the best interests of the injured plaintiff. Uh, we're not there to represent the interests of the insurer nor their, the counsel for the plaintiff. It is the injured person's needs and goals that we're focused on. And we have an awful lot of... Uh opportunities and ways to do that. John, you see things on a national scale. Uh, you know, what have we been doing right here to become as successful as we have? Well, Larry, as you know, when uh, Ringler was founded in 1975, the company was founded on the principles of local people, local service. Um, we currently have 55 offices scattered throughout the United States and the U.K. We've got 125 full-time brokers. And the advantage that it gives us over some of our competitors is that we know all the jurisdictions that we're involved in on a local basis. We know the plaintiff's attorneys, defense attorneys, and more importantly, the judges, mediators. We know the jurisdictions, uh, especially when we get involved in a subject we haven't talked about here before at ATLA. We get involved in workers' comp when you're dealing with a state workers' comp law. So it's, it's the knowledge, the local knowledge that uh, we bring to the table that's allowed Ringler to settle in our in our history 130,000-plus uh, structured settlements. Oh, it's interesting, John, that you, you, you say that uh, we've been involved in things like workers' comp, and we haven't really mentioned it here. There's a, there are an awful lot of issues that we haven't really mentioned here uh, during this ATLA convention, but that we're going to get to in the future. And you know, one of those is, uh, you know, trying to correct some of the misinformation and uh, sometimes even bad press that comes out about structured settlements and, and brokers and, and how it all works, and we hear it from time to time. And hopefully we'll be doing that because I'm sure it'll be a big help to you, Lynn. Absolutely. Um, it, it's always a challenge for us to make sure that our the good word about structured settlements gets out there. Uh, I think that we've, again, done a great job historically in marketing to our defendants and insurers and letting them know what the product is all about. And, our, uh, again, our challenge is making sure that the plaintiffs and their attorneys are uh, fully aware of the benefits of the structured settlement. And, and you know, again, we have to counter some of the objections and concerns that they have and that's just that's just become part of what it, what it is that we do. That's part of our job. Um, you know, relative to the, the worker comp forum that we are talking about a little bit here today, uh, again, another challenge in our industry. We really have become subject matter experts when it comes to dealing with issues surrounding the different uh, forums that we're working with. So we have taken it upon ourselves to become knowledgeable when it comes to issues involving worker comp and Medicare issues um, so that we can become a value-added service to the plaintiffs and their attorneys. And uh, I always like to tell uh, my clients that we're a no-cost value-added service because that's one of the benefits of, uh, of working with folks like us. We don't, we don't charge anyone for our services, and, and to, to a great degree, that's uh, helpful to the whole process. Well, John, I'm glad you were here today, uh, and uh, hopefully you'll be back uh, on future shows. And, Lynn, uh, the same for you, and I, I wish you both well. Thanks, my John pleasure. and Lynn. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we've had a very interesting show here uh, in the last couple of days, and uh, we want to thank all of our distinguished guests and uh, all of our listeners at Ringler Radio. And don't forget, you can listen to our shows anytime on the Legal Talk Network 
and you can download the shows for later listening. It's all about your schedule, not ours. And uh, Dennis, uh, you've been with us uh, for quite a while here now on these shows. Any closing thoughts? Larry, I've just been thrilled with the, the guests that we've had here this week. Uh, the people from the Brain Injury Association, people talking about forensic economics, uh, tragic stories of settlements involving uh, the death of a young boy, uh, consumer advocates uh, from BZ Allen. Uh, it's been a wonderful experience for all of us, and we really it's a it's a great educational tool for for attorneys and for uh, claims people throughout the country. Uh, it's a, we're, we are thrilled with the experience, and we really appreciate everything. We we would encourage you to uh, to use our website www.ringlerassociates.com to log in at any time. You will have availability of these these broadcasts that you can download onto your iPod at your your convenience and listen to them when you wish, or you can listen to them in your office. And I think that you'll find them both educational and entertaining. Absolutely. And uh, I want to thank everybody again for listening to us. And uh, if you want to reach any of our Ringler Associates around the country, you can certainly do it through the website. Once again, ringlerassociates.com. I don't think you can ever say that often enough. And uh, we just want to thank you for uh, for paying the attention paying attention to our shows. I, I've been very happy to be here in Toronto. It's been a great city for us to be in, and hope you'll enjoy our future programs. Go out now and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. We hope you'll join us for the next program on the Legal Talk Network.